Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, I want to welcome everybody who's streaming the service online. Remind everybody that most of our church family is still not with us uh, in person. They're online, so we want to welcome you guys. We're glad to have you with us, and we're still rolling through this unique and this weird time. And uh, what an honor to be a part of that. Uh, I told Zach Stafford, who's been a friend of mine, that's the dad in that, in that video there, long time ago, when, when actually when the baptism happened, I said, you're doing such a great job as a dad. Don't mess this up. And uh, I don't know, I was away last week, I was at the seminary uh, that I uh, was trained in, and I was up there training some younger leaders and speaking to clergy, and Jess Stafford, you got to see her, she preached last week, How, wasn't that great, didn't she do an awesome job? And uh, I text Zach, I think because I did that at the baptism, I text Zach while, while Jess is preaching, and I said, man, she's doing so great, I'm not coming back. And he texts me right back, and he goes, there's really no need for you to come back. <laughs> oh, man, so pray for Zach Stafford, anyhow. Well, hey, I want to remind everybody, too, especially online at the end of the service, we're going to be taking communion together as a church family. We're going to do it here. And so we want to, like we've already given you advance word, hope that you will grab some juice and some bread and be a part of that. And we're going to all do that together as a church family. Today, though, I want to say, uh, grab your app, if you have the Community of Hope app or your Bible, we are going to close out our series that we've been working on. We've been calling this series Come Alive, and we've been uh, navigating through the neck of the last six weeks an important conversation about how God grows us when he grows our faith. And this has been an important thing, and if you are new to the conversation, I can get you connected and get you caught up really quickly. We have been built, we have built this series to run on two really important ideas. I want to give the ideas to you. One is, is this idea that we believe scripture teaches you are never going to be who you are fully created to be outside of a relationship with a living God. And so that's uh, embedded in scripture all over, and that's what we've been talking about uh, in this idea, uh, in this series, is that the more we uh, come to know Christ, and the more we begin to know Jesus, and begin to follow his purposes in our lives, the more we actually become ourselves. And the second idea that we've connected to this, a really important uh, idea, is that... um, The spiritual life and our emotional life, our emotional well-being are absolutely interconnected. Sometimes there's an idea, I think, that happens in the world when the world looks in on followers of Jesus, and it just looks a little different. And, and sometimes the, the, the message, the idea, the witness we give off is not as compelling as it needs to be. And so what, what we're really going at in this series is simply this, that the more we grow in Christ, the more you become who God has intended you to become, this is one of the deep truths of Scripture, the more you grow up to be who God has created you to be. And this is sort of the idea that we're uh, striking at. And we've embedded this idea in, in really this theme verse. And the theme verse, I 
think we can show it to you. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, where we've been saying this for the last six weeks. You come in here, we say it. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ, the Lord will shine on you. And here's what we remember about this. Scholars think this was, a, this was an ancient hymn that this is part of what the early church would say to one another. And here's an interesting thing. A lot of us are familiar with Easter, and on Easter it's, it's kind of common for Christians to say Christ is risen, and everybody goes, he is risen indeed, you know, that kind of idea. Well, scholars believe that this early hymn was also that kind of rhetoric, that kind of idea, that, that it was not uncommon for believers to identify themselves by saying this simple phrase, you know, Christ the Lord, you know, rise from the dead, Christ the Lord will shine on you. And so this is kind of the idea that we're going at uh, in this series. But today, uh, when we were putting this together with the teaching team, here's what I told the team. I said, I want to save a message at the end, and I want to talk about the idea of Christian hope. And whenever we talk about Christian hope, we're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about uh, eternal life. And so really today, even in a more literal way, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I want to talk about the ultimate hope that we have because of what Jesus has offered to us. And I want to talk to you about heaven. And so I'm calling today's talk, thy kingdom come. Now, Normally, when I talk about heaven, I want to tell you, I will often reserve some time in my message, quite honestly, to talk also about hell. And, I'm, and I believe in hell. Jesus talked about hell a lot, but, but today I'm not going to do that because we've been living in hell all year. <laughs> and I thought, we don't really need to talk about it anymore. And this is the, the last weekend before an election we can't handle anymore, right? <laughs> Come on. So I'm not going to talk about that, but I am going to talk about heaven. And I want to read a passage of scripture that uh, takes place in the gospel of John. These are mostly uh, Jesus words as recorded by John the beloved. And we're going to read from uh, John chapter 14, verses one through seven. This is a great passage of scripture. And frankly, you just sang it. Okay. And so here's the scripture. Jesus is speaking. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Isn't that a great verse? Just even that. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For my father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, what I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And then he goes on, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we actually don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well, for from now on you do know him and you have seen him. Okay, let's pray together. Uh, God, would you, would you say something in this space lasting and eternal to us? Would you give us the ability, Lord, in here by the power of your Holy Spirit in, in a way to suspend everything that is swirling around us in this unique and tumultuous year? And God, would you speak words of life that find their way into our heart, 
that rekindle the hope that we have in you and that remind us, oh God, of your goodness and of your grace because we long to hear it. And more than that, Jesus, we long to know it deep in our souls. For we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. So um, scholars think that Jesus was using the imagery of the Jewish betrothal idea of marriage to communicate to the disciples about eternal life and his coming again. And when you look at this passage of scripture, there's some things I would want you to understand. Uh, Those who study the word tell us that this is Jesus with the disciples in the upper room. And this is probably a, a powerful moment right before, and we know it, that Jesus leaves the upper room. He walks uh, from there across the Kidron Valley down into the Garden of Gethsemane where he is uh, betrayed into the hands of evil men, where he is tried unjustly, where he is accused falsely, and where he is crucified horrifically. And it begins to set in motion on this side of religious history what we know is the redemption and the resurrection. And so this is a moment, in fact, scholars think that uh, he is sharing this with the disciples in the upper room. And in fact, they go on to say that, in fact, one-fifth of the gospel was probably written, uh, of the gospel of John was written in the upper room. And um, it's probably one of the most high-stress, high-anxiety, high-tension moments uh, in the disciples' lives. And, and what I want you to notice that Jesus does is that Jesus uh, enters into this moment. He meets them there, and he begins to throw what I like to think of. He throws hope long. Let me tell you why I think it's a tense moment for the disciples. If you've ever read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice that there is a tremendous temptation to kind of normalize everything that is going on in, in, in the Gospels. And I think that the disciples would do that. Jesus, you know, they had befriended Jesus. Jesus is walking with them. He's with them for three years. And, and life kind of goes on. I mean, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing. But there is almost sort of this disconnect that outside of that, life seems to just sort of go on. But every now and again, Jesus would say these weird statements and they wouldn't understand. And, 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 and it was, and you see this every now and again in, in, in the gospels where Jesus would say something, they either rebuke him or remember one time Jesus talks about his death and Peter says, you know, you're not going to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And there's all these little weird moments. And all of this comes to the apex of this moment where now Jesus is in the upper room and it suddenly dawns on them. When Jesus is talking about the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world, he's actually the Lamb of God. He's the one who's taking the sins. His his crucifixion, he literally is going to die. And here's this incredible moment when all of this begins to settle on them in this weird moment. And what Jesus does is he begins to push hope out. 
in a long way. And this is really, I think, um, instructive for us because um, I think it, it sets in motion, if you will, almost a rhythm that I would encourage all of us maybe think about. And that is when, when the world begins to look weird, when, when your life begins to be challenged, when there's all this anxiety, when there's all this deal, it's important every now and again to throw hope long. Um, I have some phrases in my own life. Sometimes when I see things in the world that don't seem right, we've all seen that on the news or you get a call from a friend or a loved one. Sometimes the phrase that I don't even know where I picked it up, I don't even know how it's become something I say, but I'll often say this when, when news of that sort makes its way to me, I'll often say this, Lord in your mercy. Somebody will call and they'll, they got a bad doctor's report. Lord in your mercy, God, would you just be there? So you watch something befall a nation or a country or a people group. You see something on the news, something pops up on a social media feed. Sometimes I'll just look at stuff like that and I'll go, Lord in your mercy. Another phrase that has become a phrase of mine in, in recent years is, is a phrase, uh, and I would commend it to you, it's a phrase where I simply will say this, well, there's coming a day. And something will happen. And I go, Lord, that's bad, that's wrong, that's not good, but you know what, there's coming a day. And I, and I just will almost call out, Lord, there's coming a day when you're going to right every wrong. You're going to make everything that's bad, it's going to turn around. God, you are in the redemption business. And we just need to be reminded of this. And, and here's what I would tell you. I want to I look literally at what Jesus is saying, but, but I don't want to miss a moment first to tell us. Jesus is giving the disciples and us through the disciples a rhythm. And when the crushing weight of our world falls on us, that we should every now and again set that aside, throw hope long, be reminded of God's mercy, and say even sometimes, even out loud to ourselves, Lord, there's coming a day. And so this is kind of what is, I, I think, really powerful for us. And especially powerful and true when we talk about eternity because there's a lot of opinions about eternity, right? I mean, everybody's got an opinion about eternity. I was reading, one author says this, reminds us, I think I've even shared some of this before. It was, uh, when you think about eternity, uh, the Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. Early Finnish people thought of heaven as an island in the faraway east. Early Mexican, Peruvian, and Polynesian people believed that they went to the sun or the moon after they died. Our own Native Americans believed that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of the buffalo on the open plain. In the, in the pyramids of Egypt, they, the embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them as guides to the future world. All the anthropological evidence would suggest that in every culture there was some God-given innate sense of the eternal. But in, in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, we are reminded that God has placed eternity into the heart of humankind. And so Jesus is talking about eternity. But sometimes we're confused. 
Sometimes I would tell you our own Christian view of heaven and eternity is is kind of lackluster. I, I remember reading years ago, I don't know if he's a follower of Christ or not, Joel Stein, who is uh, a columnist for the LA Times, he said this, I believe, he writes, heaven is totally overrated. Interesting. He said it seems boring, actually, clouds, listening to people play the harp. He said heaven should be somewhere you can't wait to go, like a luxury hotel. Maybe blue skies and soft music were enough to keep people in line in the 17th century, but heaven has to learn how to step it up a bit. It's basically getting by because it only has to be slightly better than hell. That's rough, right? So what I would ask, I guess, and the question of the morning is this, what if all these ideas about eternity that we have in our culture today, what if they're wrong? What if they are wrong? What if, what if it doesn't, what if it's better than so often what we hear? What if, what if it, it's better than the way it appears? I, I think a lot of times, especially this year, right, things are not as though they appear, right? Amen? Right? I was thinking about this. I, I just have to tell you this story. So when Beth and I were flying to Kentucky, we got on the plane. Planes are weird anyway, right? Planes are just weird right now. So we got on a plane, and, and we sat down in our seat, and across the aisle, this lady comes in, and she sits on the other side of the aisle. She sat over by the window uh, next uh, on, the, on our same row. And when I looked over there, I noticed she had this cute little dog with her. And, and the dog uh, was wearing a sweater, and the sweater said, Joy. Like the dog is this, you know, joy, like filled with joy, right? And so right before, right before the plane takes off, the stewardess is walking down through the airplane and she's closing all the overhead compartments and she comes up and she spies the dog and she spies the little sweater and she goes, oh, what a beautiful little dog. And she reaches out to pet the dog and the dog about gnawed her arm off. It was the weirdest thing. It was so misleading. The dog says, joy, you know, and there was a girl sitting next to her. She looked at me like, my gosh, get me out of here, you know, and when nobody was looking, I took a picture of this animal and I want to show it to you. She only saw it. There it is. And I want you to know, I I wasn't going to talk about hell today, but that's Satan's brother right there. And we live in a world right now where a lot of things just don't appear like they are. But here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to tell you. Focus, focus. Here's what I want to tell you. This, the idea of Christian hope is actually so powerful. And when I think about Christian hope, I, I want to tell you what I think about it and what I think Jesus is really pointing at when he talks about it with the disciples in the upper room. I, I think there are three things we should know. First of all, if you're taking notes or if you care, I I would say, first of all, Jesus would want us to know about heaven on earth. And I think a lot of times when uh, our first major mistake about heaven is that it is somewhere out there somewhere, and it's it's only really the hope-filled destination at the end of our journey on earth, and so we really shouldn't be bothered with it right now. I, I can remember when the girls were very little and I was at school where I just came from, I was working on a doctoral degree, and and uh, we had Christmas off, and because Beth's family lived so far away, we, we would never get to go home for Christmas, and I said, oh, this is our moment, we can go home for Christmas, and so um, I, I drove my family out, we had just gotten a new uh, minivan, because our 
car had died. And so, you know, I was kind of nervous about all of that because it looked like there might be snow. And so we are driving and, and, and the second day we ran into snow and then it takes three days to get out there. The last day it is snowing the whole time. And by the time we get up to North Texas where Beth's family lives, it just kept snowing and kept snowing. And finally we got right to literally her parents' street and her parents live on five miles of dirt road because they farm. And we got right to her street and I just stuck the van right in a snow bank and we got stuck right there. And Beth's brother comes out with his truck and chains and he's going to pull my brand new van out. I was like all, all nervous about this. But in the van, our older daughter, Haley, was having a complete meltdown because she could see her grandparents' house but she assumed because we were stuck in the snow, we were going to have to turn around and go back home. <laughs> and she's screaming. She's going, but I can see it. It's right there. It's right there. And sometimes I think when it comes to, to heaven, we, we know it's out there, but it, it doesn't impact us now. And here's, here's one of the truths of Scripture. The first idea of Christian hope is the kind of hope that meets us right now on this side of eternity. That's why I would call it heaven on earth. And and I want you to notice what happens in John chapter 14, verse 5 and 6, uh, where Thomas is speaking, and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, look at, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. What I want you to notice here, he's not talking about a place. He's talking about a person. He's talking about his person. He's talking about who he is. And the first idea of heaven really is this heaven uh, on earth. And when we give our lives to Jesus, this is what I think. The crushing weight of the world with all its demands And the silent cries of our brokenness begin to evaporate in the light of the vile grace and imminent indiscriminate compassion expressed from Jesus to his people and we can see it and we can feel it. God doesn't want heaven just to be something out there. He wants to start bringing heaven to you right now. And who would say, I could use a little heaven right now. Yesterday, a lot of times in Beth, I take Friday off and I try to not do any people work. I try to ignore you guys totally on Friday. (laughs) And what I like to do is be with my wife and we mow the yard and we clean the house. And when we clean our house, we, we, this is our phrase. We say, we're going to love our house. And across the week it gets dirty and we'll go up. It's time to love our house. So we will clean our house on, on Friday. And, and we were doing this the other day and my wife, who was going to sing in the worship team today, she, we had worship music playing in the house. And what I noticed in this moment, I mean, she's vacuuming. I had just mowed that yard. We're doing all this stuff. And there, there comes this moment when both of us, there was this worship band that was playing. And somehow we didn't, unscripted moment, we found, both of us found ourselves in, in, the, in the family room while the TV and the worship music was on, just being drawn to the promises that were coming out of the speakers. And it's like all of a sudden the vacuum is not important and the 
front yard is not as important. We're just in this moment, sort of, what does the old hymn say? Lost in wonder, lost in praise. Do you know what that is? It's the cry of home. It's heaven on earth. And this is the offering that God gives to every single one of his followers. It's, it's sort of interesting. I, I made a note around this when I was doing some study for the message. Listen to this. The oldest law of Rome mandated that no body ever be buried or cremated inside the city of Rome. The dead were regarded with dread. They got a city of their own. Rome called it the necropolis, which means the city of the dead. But now listen to this. As, as Christianity began to take foothold in Rome, all of this began to shift dramatically with the early church. Then we began to see graveyards placed on church grounds. Some of the saints of the church were buried under the floors of churches so that in an almost literal way, the living and the dead were gathered together to worship. And they were ushered together in the belief in the resurrection and that death was actually something no longer to be feared. Praise God, right? Isn't that a powerful imagery? And, and here's the thing. That's not just in the by and by in the sky when you die. It's here and now. That's God throwing hope long. But then I want to say this. I, I do want to say that not only is this, but I want to say a moment here, and, and I don't want to miss my moment, okay? So here comes a little bit of a challenge. Too often, though, we don't live in that hope. We place our hope in something else. And I don't want to miss the moment to tell you that. And I think we're especially susceptible to do that. Here it comes. The weekend before an election. Right? Uh, I don't want to lack courage in a moment like uh, this. Sometimes I think I read an article a month ago that says politics is the new religion. May God have mercy on our souls. Right? And here's what I want to say. I, don't, I, I want to be clear. I mean, um, all of us, uh, I want you to vote. Everybody should vote. If you haven't voted, you need to vote. Uh, and all of us uh, have deep convictions around how we get to where we're going to vote and how we're going to vote. But I want to remind everybody, the kingdom is not going to come on Tuesday or Wednesday. It's not. I did a little thing uh, to just make sure I was right, <laughs> in case I was wrong. Um, I went back and I looked up every message that I preached prior to a national election, and somewhere embedded in every one of those messages is this phrase, and we've, we've heard it this, uh, this year too, this election is the most important election of our lifetime. <laughs> you hear it every four years, Right? Then Wednesday comes and we're disappointed, right? And I just want to remind you that for the believer, for the believer, we serve another kingdom. And that kingdom should always and in every place come first. It just should come first. 
And, and uh, I was thinking about even the, the guy who started a renewal movement in the Church of England that became the Methodist Church that needs another renewal movement, by the way. And, um, and I will just tell you, um, he, ha- he had some ideas about voting. I want to show you John Wesley's ideas about voting. He said, here, here are my rules. Vote without fear or reward for the person or cause that is most worthy. Okay, got that? Here's the second rule. Speak no evil of the person or cause that you voted against. Everybody is now feeling very filled with shame. Number three, don't become sharp in your spirit with those who vote differently than you. I mean, now he wrote that in the 18th century, 17th century, I think, right? Yikes. So uh, just a little challenge. Probably before, before Tuesday, some of us, maybe all of us, should call somebody you know and either offer forgiveness or extend forgiveness. But um, we serve another kingdom, right? Uh, before we go on, I thought, you know what I would do? I thought I would take a moment and lead us in a prayer for our election on Tuesday. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I, I want to thank you uh, this morning that still yet today we live in a country that is often characterized as the land of the free and the home of the brave. Many of us are here and we have loved ones who paid ultimate prices so that we can live in a country where we still choose our leaders. Behind that is this mysterious truth, God, of Scripture that says you will raise leaders up and you will depose leaders. And then still yet another challenge that invites us to pray for those who are in leadership. So God, in this moment, as we stand on the precipice of an important election, every election is important, we would pray for President Trump. We would pray for Vice President Pence. We pray, oh God, that you would in this space, speak to them in their hearts about your goodness and your grace, that you would protect them as even in these days they lead our country. And we pray for former Vice President Joe Biden, and we pray for Senator Kamala Harris. And God, all of these people we lift up. We pray, Lord, as they are running with a platform and a vision that, God, that in the mysterious way that you do, would you work through the political process to raise your leader? And, God, would you give us the capacity in this nation to pray for our leaders and to follow our leaders? And we would pray that all of our leaders in Washington would know of your grace and know of your mercy. These are important days. I pray protection even over our country, not only, Lord, for the winners, but even the losers, because somewhere in that, 50% of us will feel we've won, 50% of us will feel we've lost. So help us, for we pray in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord, and everyone said, Amen. So there's heaven on earth. Then, then I will say this real quickly, right? There's heaven when you die. 
I mean, it is true that it is heaven when you die. uh, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3, my father's house has many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told what I've told you that I'm going to prepare a place. And if I go, I'm going to come back. I'm going to take you with me that you also may be where I am. Christian apologist C.S. Lewis said, I must keep alive within myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after my death. And I must never, ever, ever let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life. And I must press on to that country and help others to do the same. And then lastly, I think there's heaven on earth again. And this is the final redemption of all things. N.T. Wright said it this way. He said, despite what people think within the Christian family or outside of it, the point of Christianity isn't to go to heaven when you die. It's ultimately to bring heaven to earth, which we often pray, right? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer. And one day there will be the consummation of all things. I thought before we had communion, I would read how scholars think maybe John, they think maybe it was the same John, wrote about it in the last book of the Bible. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people of God and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has forever passed away. Ah. Right? God, we thank you that that is the disposition of our heart. And would you take us from this place, Lord, not only as receivers of your love, but as people, God, who would spread your love to a world that needs to experience it. This we pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Hey, before you go, I want to remind you, if you're online and you're making a commitment to Christ or you want to uh, initiate a relationship with the Lord, if you would text next to the number on the screen, we'll help you do that. I want to remind you that when you leave this morning, we do have a a place outside where we have folks uh, that are there to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, you'll find them out there. They'd love to pray for you. Go in his grace and his mercy, and we'll see you next weekend.